So the Sayambara's condition actually is uh, that the girl may select her own husband or somebody may forcibly take her away. I know, it will raise a lot of eyebrows. <laughs> and but that's what happens, what to do, like, as I said, like Kshatriyas, because of their nature is in a certain way, they are given some license. And so, like for example, when Bhishma's cousin, I mean, sorry, half-brother became the king, Bichitra became the king. He was just a young boy at that time. And it's a custom that once, when one ascends the throne, he should be married. Together with the wife, one takes the responsibility of the kingdom, ascending the throne. So Bhishma was considered, Bhishma was actually like the guardian his younger brother. And so Bhishma thought that the daughters of Kashiraj are the most suitable candidates. They are actually, day three were, there's three girls, three daughters of Kashiraj, Amba, Ambika and Ambalika. These three girls were the incarnation of Durga Devi. So he considered that these three girls are the most suitable candidates for my brother. Now, they three <coughs> were going into Sayambara. They were going to select their husband. So, Bhishma just arrived there in that assembly where three girls are going to select their husband. And you can well imagine uh, all the kings and princes were present there. So Bhishma went there and he announced, okay, he gave his identity, I am Bhishma. 
the son of King Shantanu. My brother Vichitravirja is going to ascend the throne. So he has to get married. And I selected these three girls to be the suitable candidates. Now I'm claiming them. <laughs> now if anybody wants, come, stop me from this act. Saying that, Bhishma took these three girls onto the chariot and drove away. And all the kings actually surrounded Bhishma. And there was a terrible fight. So this is the thing. You want to take the girl, but you have to prove your worth. You have to defeat the opposing kings and princes. You know the story, don't you? Is it there in the Mahabharata? In, yeah. Now I'm talking about Mahabharata in the TV, uh, TV show. <laughs> Actually, it's good. Like, uh, it was a good, great job they had done. Uh, like, at least most of you <laughs> now know Mahabharata. Prior to that, how many of you read Mahabharata? Okay, just a few hands. <clears throat> but now how many of you know the stories of Mahabharata? <laughs> Gold Premanandi. <laughs> so, similarly, like I, I just wanted to point out that it is a part of the Vedic culture. And mind you, Vedic culture is coming from Krishna. So there is no question, why is that? In today's world, uh, like with GBC, we are dealing with some issues now. Uh, the child marriage. And they are thinking, oh, this child marriage. Many of them, many of our devotees are thinking, oh, child marriage is illegal and so forth. The child marriage was not, was not illegal. Today's context may, may be. But in the Vedic context, child marriage was okay. My grandmother got married at the age of eight. At the age of eight, my grandmother was eight years old, and my grandfather was thirteen years old <laughs> when they got married. <coughs> and it's not that right after right after getting married they're living together. No, the girl actually stayed in the father's house until she reached her youth or puberty. And then she came to the husband's house. The nice thing about that, Prabhupada pointed out, that when the girl is growing up, her mind is fixed on one man. Because, again, Prabhupada said that it is very important for the girls to fix their mind on one person. And generally, the person they fix their mind, they remain loyal to that person throughout the life. So much so that there's another Vedic culture is that if the, when the husband died, the wife voluntarily entered, gave up her life, entering into the fire. Now why is that? Like it's not that they are forced into it. Like <clears throat> later on, as I said, uh, how when the Vedic, Vedic culture got distorted, 
Then it became a custom. Like, oh, husband died, so throw the wife also. <laughs> and it was an extremely cruel thing to do. And sometimes the husband is 70, 80 years old, and the wife is only 15 years old. And that was another custom. There is a called Kulin Pratha. You see, among the Brahmanas also there are classes. Like a Brahmana, it, it was prestigious, not uh, as customary for a Brahman from the lower class girl to get married to a higher class Brahmana. And some people would take advantage of that. Uh, those who are higher class, uh, they would have 25 wives. And they would take the responsibility of the girls, the women, the wives. They would be wondering <laughs> from one <laughs> in-law's house to another in-law's house. Uh, the girl would stay in the father's house <coughs> and they would just visit them as if they're doing a big favor. <laughs> so this is how the whole culture became distorted. As a result of that, people didn't want to accept that culture. They just said, get rid of it. You know? like, who wants to? As I said, in Buddhism came into practice. But still, even afterwards, after Shankaracharya came, Ramanacharya came, the, the Vedic culture had been established, but still, you know, some of these, you know, dark practices remained in the Vedic culture. But otherwise, Vedic culture is actually a very, very pure culture. The British taught that uh, Shati process. Uh, they stopped it. Now, even then there, is, there was uh, that prasad, prasad, uh, practice was prevalent. Uh, you know the Rani Sati in Rajasthan, and Jun, there is a province called Chunchunu in Rajasthan. There was a queen uh, called Rani, the, the, I forgot her name, she is known as Rani Sati. The, when the husband died, she voluntarily entered into the fire, she became a Sati, and she is worshipped in the country in that area as a as a saintly worshipable person. And I also heard that the British was trying to stop one woman from, and she responded that, look, my, uh, actually my heart is burning in such a way that this, uh, due to his, my separation from him, that this fire is going to soothe that burning. This, this fire is not going to uh, be painful to me, brother, but rather soothing to me. And to prove that, she put her hand in the fire and let her hand burn. She did not show any sign of pain. Another remarkable thing that I'm sure you all are aware of, when King Pandu died, he had two wives, Kunti and Madhuri. And both of them wanted to follow him. And then they decided that no one of us must stay for the children. The Kunti and Madhuri had a debate. Kunti was saying that I am elder, therefore I have the Right. But Madhuri said, 
out of five, three, out of five, three are your children. Therefore, you have a greater responsibility to take care of them. And besides that, it is because of me that she died, that he died. And his desire was unfulfilled. So it is for it is for, uh, my prerogative to enter into fire. So you can see, like there was no force, there was no pressure. It was a completely voluntary thing. I'm saying all these things just to make you all understand the supremacy of the Vedic culture. It is the most profound, most wise, and most scientific culture. It's perfect in all respects. Why? Because it has been given by the Lord Himself. So if we follow this culture, our life will become glorious. So anyway, and as I said also earlier, that in today's world there is no Kshatriya. Today's world is not dominated by or not only dominated, not represented by the heroic warriors and valiant Kshatriyas. Today's world is full of cowards. There is no warrior as such. Somebody said, well, what about the military people, army? I said, no, they are not Kshatriyas. They are mercenaries. Mercenaries are those who fight for the sake of money. The warriors fight because they love to fight. Even to die in the battlefield is a glorious achievement for them. They are not afraid of dying. And they would fight and they were so expert in this fighting. One person, as we are seeing, one person could deal with so many. Like Arjun single-handedly dealt with the entire Kuru army when they came to steal the cows of King Vidat. It may sound difficult or impossible. That's why they think this is all fairy tale. When Ramchandra cut the nose of Shurpanakha, then uh, Ravana's brother, Dushan, Khar and Dushan, sent 14 warriors to arrest him in the forest. And Ramchandra wiped out. Now people may wonder, how can one, one, pers how can one person fight with 14? And not only that, then not only Ramchandra killed all these 13 and let one go to report to the king. <laughs> so then the entire army came and Ramchandra wiped out the entire army including Khara and Dushana, the leaders of the army, Ravan's brother. So this is how how powerful. Now one may say, oh, Ramchandra is the supreme personality of Godhead. No. The Rathis are the one who could single-handedly deal with one army. 
a good number of soldiers. And the Maharathi could deal with so many Rathis. So they could do that. And anyway, like, these are not fairy tales, these are factual narrations. Today's world has become full of cowards. That doesn't mean that they were not heroes. They were not heroes with wonderful ability. And one thing that actually made a lot of sense to me, uh, once Prabhupada was giving the example of the demigods, the ability of the demigods. Now to us it may seem to be impossible uh, what the demigods can do or what they're doing. And he gave the comparison. Like if you if the if some ant is told about the ability of a human being, what will the ant think? Won't you think that's all mythology? <laughs> Won't you think it's all just some fairy tales? But does it does it really affect the ability of a man what ant thinks about him? Now consider, compared to the demigods, we are like ants. And sometimes some of these personalities, demons, would become so powerful that they would even defeat the demigods. And compared to Krishna, these demigods are practically even more insignificant than an ant. Okay, so let's go back. <laughs> Samba got to know about Lakshmana and got to also know that Lakshmana is getting married in Sarvara. She is going to select her own husband. So Samba went all by himself. Just alone he went and when Lakshmana came out to in the assembly, mind you, there's a huge assembly with so many kings majestically situated and such a glorious occasion. Samba also is majestic. He is the son of the Supreme Personality of God. He is an expansion of the Supreme Personality of God. So Samba just goes there with his chariot and before anybody could make out what was happening, the girl was on Samba's chariot and the chariot was flying like spaceship. And when they came to the senses, they were so upset. Look what this boy had done. Such a disgrace to the Kuru dynasty. So they mind you, though, the, at that time Durjadana was practically ruling over the whole world. And what has happened to his daughter? His daughter has been stolen. And they decided that we must teach this boy. So <clears throat> there was a, immediately there was a consideration. Should we really go into a conflict with the Kurda Jadus? And Durjadan, you know how puffed up he is, how arrogant he is. His reaction was that why should we worry about this Jadus? 
They are really their king, their king, because we have allowed them to be to rule over a tract of land which actually belongs to us. Meaning, uh, we are the ruler of the whole earth planet, and uh, they are dominating over a certain place because we have allowed them. So, briefly, there were some considerations like that. Some uh, advised like. Bhishma and Vidura, not to get into a conflict, but Durjana was arrogant. And as a result of that, an army headed by uh, six generals, including Karna, uh, attacked Shamba. Shamba was a valiant warrior also. So he, as they surrounded him, he uh, killed the four horses of each chariot of the six generals, including Karna, kill the four horses. Twenty-four horses. The six chariots were broken. The six chariot drivers were, were killed. And the six generals were struck. In a valiant way. Anyway, when they are struck once in a thing, they don't really once the arrow hit them. It's not a big thing for them. But they appreciate it. This boy is a good fighter. <laughs> and then they surrounded him and then they uh, killed his horses. Uh, his chariot was broken. His chariot driver was killed and his weapon was cut and in this way Samba was arrested. So the news reached Dwarka. And everyone was very upset. So they have arrested Balaram. So Krishna suggested now, Ugrashen suggested that we should immediately, we should immediately send our army to release Samba. We are related to each other, we are friends, but look, this is how they are treating our family member. Attack. Now, Balaram had a soft corner for Duryodhana. So, Balaram pacified them that let's not go into a fight, I will go there and I will, I will settle the matter. So Balaram went and he stayed at the, uh, at the outskirts of the city, stayed out of the city limit and sent his messenger uh, that Please release Samba and we'll be happy to have your daughter as our Bahu. <laughs> but Durjathan's response was very arrogant. He says, and this was the message that Balaram carried on behalf of Ugrashin. And Durjathan said that they are our subordinate. And they are offering us uh, 
the advice. <laughs> do this, do that. As if the shoe wants to go on to the head. The shoe is meant to be at the feet. So meaning that there, these jadus are meant to be at my feet. And now they're giving me advice as if they're getting onto my head. So when this message was carried back to Balaram, Balaram became furious. He said, they think that we are their shoes in a family where Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is present as the crest jewel of the family. And who is serving Ugrashen? And he thinks Ugrashen to be his subordinate bootlicker. So Balaram took his plow so just destroy her whole Hastinapur. And Balaram took the plow and he started to pull Hastinapur down to Jamuna. All of a sudden they saw as if that sounded like it felt like an earthquake. And they saw gradually the city is going towards Jamuna. And a part of Jamuna palaces and things already sunk into Jamuna. So then they became worried. They became afraid. They said, please forgive us, forgive us. <laughs> and then they came to Balaram uh, and uh, begged forgiveness. So this is a wonderful demonstration of Balaram's prowess. And Durjadhan's arrogance, how it met with his own infamy. One day a messenger came to Hastinapur from the kings who had been arrested by Jarasandha. Jarasandha, as I mentioned, he arrested some 95 kings and he wanted to perform a sacrifice where the human being, 100 human, not only ordinary human beings, 100 kings will be sacrificed. This is how uh, demoniac these kings became. So these kings appealed to Krishna. You are the Supreme Personality of Godhead. You are the only shelter of the distressed souls. Now we have been arrested by Jarasandha. We are in captivity. And he is going to kill us. So please save us. So they started to consider, yes, we have to do something. Jarasandha is becoming too much. So at around that time, also the news came that Yudhishthir Maharaj is planning to perform Rajasuya Jagya. Rajasuya Jagya is the sacrifice to win the sovereignty over the earth planet by subduing all the other kings. Actually in the Vedic time, there used to be one king for earth. Every planet actually has one primary leader, one principal leader. 
like moon pa moon planet who is the leader of moon planet chandrade sun planet do they have democracy there every four years a new leader coming so that shows in what a quandary this earth planet One qualified leader should rule the planet. It's not that there won't be other other rulers, but all these other rulers will be under this one ruler. There will be one supreme ruler. And isn't it the nice best way? Then, then automatically peace prevails. Like there is one ruler under whom everyone is functioning. ruling the kingdom and the that supreme ruler would see if somebody is doing anything wrong or not in his custom and everyone in the vedic culture ideally everyone in the vedic culture <coughs> used to be a devotee of krishna and they used to rule their kingdom with the understanding that actually it belongs to krishna the supreme personality of god and therefore uh, they are ruling as the representative they didn't become the proprietor of the kingdom they became representatives of the lord to rule over the kingdom that's why they always remain so detached so much so that at some point they left the kingdom and went away just consider those who run their business is it easy to retire from that but those who are employees they look forward to retirement <laughs> right so that's the difference between proprietorship and employment so they used to consider to be employees the lord's employees uh, performing or executing certain responsibilities and in this way they used to rule the kingdom <coughs> and there used to be so rajasuya yagya was the way uh, ashwai rajasuya ashwamedh yagya through which a king used to establish his supremacy over the planet one ruler for one planet Anyway, that system is gone due to the age of Kali. Why it is gone? That's another history. Let's not get into that. Whether democracy is suitable or not is another consideration. But when people ask me about democracy, uh, the appropriateness of democracy, my response to that is: it may be better than the worst, but it's not the best. Yeah, when the kings are ty tyrannical, tyrants. Uh, they are exploiting their people to the max. People are starving, where the kings and their people are enjoying the acute, the uh, absolute luxury. I don't know how far it's true, but I was told that <clears throat> when French Revolution started, revolution started with uh, expressing pe people came expressing their grievance and discontent. So in uh, in front of the palace, they were shouting uh, and expressing their discontent. 
So uh, Marie Antoinette, the queen, she asked, why they're shouting? Why they're doing that? So she was told, because they don't have bread. They're expressing their grief. They don't have bread. Then she said, no, why don't they eat cake? <laughs> so that is how they were. So, yes, when the kings are so tyrannical and they were torturing people, they're uh, exploiting people, they're extracting people. So at that time it is understandable. So democracy, maybe today's world democracy is the, is the better option, but it's not the best. The best consideration is not even monarchy. The best consideration is Krishna conscious monarchy. The kings and monarchs are Krishna conscious, recognizing that everything belongs to Krishna and they are running their business. So, <clears throat> anyway, Yudhishthir Maharaj wanted to perform Rajasriya Jyoti. So then they considered that, uh, and they wanted Krishna's permission. Uh, they wanted to ask Krishna's blessings for that, or Krishna's permission. So Krishna considered that these two things can be done, uh, the two things can be achieved with a single act. That is, Jarashandha should be removed. Because if Jarashandha is opposed to Yudhishthir Maharaj in his Rajasuya, then it will be very difficult to, for him to bring all the kings under his subordination. And if Jarashandha is now subdued, then all these kings who are arrested by Jarashandha will come in support of so Krishna considered that that also reminds me sometimes some naive people say oh Krishna is a great politician so maybe because of this kind of decisions that Krishna made but Krishna is not a politician Krishna is the wisest of the wise these are wise decisions these are not political decisions you know what is the definition of politics according to Srila Prabhupada? Prabhupada once mentioned, pol politics is the dubious arrangement for sense gratification. That is what politics. <clears throat> because there was some politics in ISKCON at that time. And Prabhupada said that this is politics. This is a dubious arrangement for sense gratification. In some surreptitious way, in some dubious way, they want to have some position or make some arrangement for their own sense gratification. So Krishna doesn't have to arrange for his sense gratification if we look at politics from that perspective or that definition. Krishna doesn't have to do politics. Krishna can just by without, just by swiping his hand, he can wipe out uh, millions of universes. Uh, 
to make some arrangement somewhere, he doesn't have to do anything or he doesn't do it for his sake. Whatever he does is for the benefit of everyone, <coughs> even in this material nature. Okay, live here peacefully. That's what Krishna's point. You are in the material nature, as I gave the example the other day. The father lets the child play in the field with his friend. Now, if there is some, uh, some unfairness in this game, then sometimes father interferes, hey, don't do that. This is the rule, follow the rule. And that rule is dharma. The rules are give, laws given by Krishna. That is the uh, standard. Just follow the rule. The rule that Krishna has given, then everybody uh, will be happy. The winner will be happy, loser will be happy, uh, the viewer will be happy. <laughs> so everyone will be happy when we just follow the rules. So, <clears throat> that is the uh, consideration. Krishna thought that these two things can be uh, simultaneously arranged. Killing of Jarasandha and Yudhishthira Maharaj, Rajasriya. So Krishna, made, uh, Krishna went to Indraprastha. And so Krishna had a discussion with Yudhishthira Maharaj. He said that, yes, uh, I want you to perform Rajasuya Jagya. But also consider that this Jagya will have some ill reactions also. Mm -hmm. Krishna, in a subtle way, warned them at that time that Rajasuya Jagya may have some ill effect. Anyway, that ill, uh, let's not think about the ill effect. So Krishna suggested, okay, uh, and Jarasandha is the biggest obstacle. So we have to remove Jarasandha from our bed. How to remove Jarasandha? Uh, it, is, it will not be possible to defeat Jarasandha in a military battle, in a war with his army. So we have to defeat Jarasandha in a in a diplomatic way. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so Krishna suggested that three of us, Bhim, Arjun, and I, would go to Jarasandha and we'll challenge him. A one-to-one -one fight. And in that one-to-one -one fight, Bhima will defeat Jarasandha because he is the right match for Jarasandha. So, they couldn't also go like that and ask Jarasandha, we want to fight with you. And that would be also difficult. Therefore, Krishna decided to go as Brahmanas. And Krishna knew that Jarasandha never refuses, that Jarasandha never refused a Brahmana when a Brahmana wanted something. So, so the three went disguised as Brahmana to Jarasandha. They came to Jarasandha's court and so Jarasandha asked, Oh, 
please accept my invitation. Please freshen up. And please tell us what you want. So, Krishna said that thank you very much. And at midnight, we will tell you what you want. Jarasandha said, fine, so you take rest now. So at midnight, Jarasandha came to them. So, he asked, so tell me what you want. He said, we want to fight with you in a wrestling match. Jarasandha said, yes, I suspected something strange like Because a friend comes through the front door, you came through the back door. <laughs> so that's how I could see that you are not friends, but you're enemies. And from their appearance, I can see that you are not brahmanas. With broad shoulders, that thin waist, powerful legs, and the mark of carrying bows on your shoulder, gives a clear indication that you are Lakshatriyas. So then Krishna said, yes. This is Krishna. I am Krishna. This is Bhim. This is Arjuna. So we want to wrestle with you. And you can select any one of us. Jarasandha said, fine. Since you came as Brahmanas, and I don't refuse a Brahmana what they want, although you came uh, in this, you know, pretending to be Brahmana, not real Brahmana, but still, I'll honor your, honor your. <coughs> and so, <coughs> Krishna said, you can choose anyone from, anyone from three of us. Jarasandha said, Krishna, you are a coward. <laughs> you ran away from the battlefield. So I don't fight with a coward. Arjun is a youngster. So I won't fight with him. So Bhima is the one I'll fight with. So in this way, they started to fight. Bhim and Jarasana. And for days together, I don't exactly remember whether it was 18 days or 27 days, something for a long time, they just fought. And no one could defeat each other. And it seemed that, in a way, that Bhima was becoming weaker and weaker. So at that time, Krishna gave a signal. He pulled out a grass and he the class. Bhima got the message. You remember Jarasandha's birth? So that was the secret of Jarasandha's death also. His body was put together. The only way he could be killed is by pulling his body apart. So that is why the wrestling was the only way that Jarasandha could have been killed. So when Krishna gave that signal, Bhima, God Jarasandha, stood on his feet 
one foot and with the holding the other foot, he just gave it full. And as a result of that, Jarasandha's body fell apart. Jarasandha's body was cut into, you know, separated in two pieces. <coughs> there is another aspect is not from Srimad Bhagavatam, Sampurana. That although Bhim would do that, but Jarasandha's body would become together again. So there's another problem. So then Krishna gave the signal. So this body were kept in a backwise. The two backs were facing each other. There they could be. Anyway, so there are, but main thing is Jarasandhana. So Krishna coronated Jarasandha's son, Sahadev, as the king, as the ruler of the kingdom. And Sahadev, Jarasandha's son, became a devotee of Krishna, subordinate to Krishna. So this is how <coughs> Jarasandha was killed and Rajasuya Jagyo was performed by Yudhishthira Maharaj. And in that Rajasuya Jagya, after defeating or bringing all the kings under their subordination, Yudhishthira Maharaj arranged to perform the Jagya. And various people, it was a grand arrangement. All the kings had assembled there. And <clears throat> different kings and Noble personalities were given different responsibilities. Like Durjadhan's responsibility was to collect all the gifts that people would bring, the kings brought. And what was Krishna's responsibility? Wash the feet of the guests. See how humble <laughs> Krishna can be. He is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, but for the sake of his devotee, he is taking such an insignificant service, humbling service, washing the feet of the guests. And when the Jagga was performed, Yudhishthira Maharaj is now recognized as a sovereign king of the planet. This palace, this sabha, the assembly hall, was built by Mayadana. And it was, this it had some mystical feature, this palace. That a liar would see things in a reverse way. The truthful person will see things as it is. But a liar there would see things in a reverse way. Like for example, he will see the land like water and water like land. So Duryodhan came to the assembly 
and he saw it was water, so he pulled up his cloth. <laughs> and then he saw the water and he thought it to be land, and very uh, gracefully he tried to walk through that, and he just fell in there. And as a result of that, some of them started to laugh at him. Yudhishthamai started to do that. He gave him some fresh clothes to wear. Durjodhana could not tolerate the laughter of his arch enemy Bhima and Draupadi, whom he coveted. So he was so heartbroken that he decided to <coughs> kill himself. So at that time the Dhanavas came from the lower planets and told Duryodhana that, look, you are our only hope. And if you give up your body, then we'll become hopeless. So don't die, don't commit suicide now. Duryodhana left the palace and on, on the pretext of going back to Hastinapur, but actually he was planning to commit suicide, burning himself in fire. Simply out of this envy, he could tolerate that this envy that Pandavas have such, such opulence. So because of his envy, he was burning so much that he decided to burn himself off. So the Dhanavas then came and told him not to do that. And they assured him that they would give him the support. And you know what happened through Shakuni, the game of dice, they took away the kingdom. So, uh, thank you all very much. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Does anybody have any questions? Yes, Radharani. The objective of sati was for the um, wife to join the husband after death. Can you elaborate what happens to the souls? Mm. I mean, the souls go yeah. together? Because, you see, the soul goes wherever the attachment is mm. in the next body. So due to the attachment, uh, the soul used to follow the husband. Does that mean whatever was karmically due to that, the husband's soul, after death, the wife would also have to experience that because she went with? Yeah, they would again uh, unite, right? And probably reversing their position. The husband became wife, and the wife became the husband. This is from the morning class, you know, when you were talking about the terrorist and also my question was that one of the most important uh, factor of to be a Vaishnav is that we should be forgiving. So in these conditions, how does one bring oneself to kind of forgive the terrorist? And is it okay not to forgive sometimes? 
Well, <coughs> like, you know, main point is that, yes, uh, Vaishnavi is forgiving, but that doesn't mean that he has to be stupid. Like, when someone acts in a completely inappropriate way, I mean, even if he can't subdue him or punish him, uh, that doesn't mean that he has to forgive him. And if he doesn't punish, but someday Jamraj will punish. Sorry, then my next question is that then the feeling of, you know, that you, you wish that they get punished, will that be a wrong feeling? That's, well, in that respect, Krishna is giving the thing, tolerate. Tolerating in the sense, you know, Recognizing that whatever is happening is not by chance. It is happening as a reaction of my past karma. And that past karma can be individual karma or it can also be collective karma. And now look at it. Today we are living in a world where so many sinful activities are going on. And can we expect that there won't be any reaction? And that reaction is coming in this way. The demons are fighting among themselves. And when there is some fight, there will be some backlash on us also. You've actually answered my next question because my next question was that, you know, in these attacks when people suffer, and especially children, and, and then do we as Vaishnavas, you know, look at that and think that, you know, it's probably because of karma that they are suffering? Or do we then? Yes. Yes, and another unfortunate thing is that the age of Kali is so dangerous, so violent that Mahaprabhu suggested that don't take the violent course because, you know, don't get into conflict, just withdraw. Because in this age, it is so, you know, conflict is always so you know, so uh, prevalent. Say, for example, uh, somebody is gets into a disagreement. First they get into verbal fight. Then one guy slaps the other guy. Then the other guy punches him. Then he comes with a knife. He comes with a sword. He comes with a gun. He comes with a machine gun. <laughs> and he just keeps on getting uh, worse and worse. Uh, so that's why, you know, just tolerate. Krishna is saying, just tolerate. And and tolerate and pray. That's about all we can do. Uh, Hare Krishna Mahamantra is actually a prayer. Krishna, please take care of this change. <laughs> so, and Krishna only can do something. Because otherwise, we can't, there is no ruler that we can take shelter of. Because all of them are, uh, first of all, they are unwise. Those who are leading the world today, they are not wise people. And then besides that, they are important. These leaders, uh, they are not heroic, they are not brave. Uh, they are a bunch of cowards. And with some manipulation, political manipulation, they come to power, win the vote. 
But they are not going to be our shelter. Therefore, the only shelter is the holy name. And that means only shelter is Krishna himself. Thank you. <coughs> this is just out of curiosity. Why did Balaram have a soft, soft spot for Duryodhan? Well, different. Uh, Balaram is actually the hope for the hopeless. <laughs> so. You know, Duryodhan was a gone case, lost cause. <laughs> so that's why Balaram took some compassion on him. And otherwise, you see, Balaram actually was teaching them the fight with mess. And Duryodhan was very good at it. That's why he became his favorite. Okay, thank you. Maharaj, I have a question. Yeah. Krishna resides in everybody's hearts. So how do how do these demons, how do they become demons? Is it because of the, some situations they've gone through? Or? Yeah, because of the past activities. Krishna is residing as a demon, but Krishna is not interfering. Until and unless one surrenders. Krishna is just a witness. And he's witnessing, oh, what you're doing? Okay, this is the result. Ultimately, Krishna is actually the, uh, the giver of our reaction. Yes. He, is, he gave us independence. Mm -hmm. You act the way you want, but you'll be responsible for your reactions. So in, as a witness, he is seeing what you are doing and he is awarding the reactions. Through the demigods, through the stars and planets. But he doesn't interfere. Krishna is not telling the demon, why are you a demon? Become a devotee. Krishna doesn't do that. Then it will be an inter you know, he'll be interfering with our independence. Yeah. Only when we surrender to Krishna, Krishna, I'm surrendering to you, and you guide me, you decide what I what I should do. You use me as a puppet in your hand. Then only Krishna says, okay, fine. And then he takes control. Thank you, Guru. Hare Krishna Maharaj, in the, in the uh, Surya Yagya organized by Maharaj Yudhishthir, what would be the position of the kingdoms of uh, Mathura and Dwarka? They came to subordination. They accepted, they approved Yudhishthir Maharaj's Rajasuya. So that means they accepted the uh, sovereignty of Yudhishthir Maharaj. <coughs> Even Durjanhan did. Okay, you can't come performing Rajasriya. Fine, do it. You explain about the Mahabharata, the TV series the videos and the Mahabharata book. Is in the TV series something that they add, something which is wrong? Something that they create by themselves? Yeah. Well, I haven't seen Mahabharata, not a single episode actually. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And uh, so it will be very difficult for me to give the comment, but I heard uh, that, uh, that everything is not really very accurate. And uh, that's one thing. Another thing is it's understandable, because they are not devotees. Uh, those who made the Mahabharata, they are not devotees. Therefore, uh, they won't be able to present it properly. I hope that someday our devotees will make Mahabharata. Yeah, I hope so. Same. <laughs> Thank you, Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Yes, Saraswati. <coughs> Guru Maharaj, after a few days, the Muslims, they will start their Ramadan fast. And um, I always wonder if they, if, they, if, they, if they derive any benefit. If they? If they derive benefit from their fast. Because they, they after the, the fast, they immediately eat meat. And uh, so I, I always wonder if there's any benefit. Well, some benefit will be there, uh, but some harm also will be there, that they're fasting. You see, the thing that we have to understand, that this religion actually developed in the middle of a desert. It was uh, thousand years ago, it was, Muhammad was actually trying to trying to give some spiritual understanding to the desert people. And therefore that their customs at that time, you know, not really appropriate and suitable for a civilized world. The thing, the religion that developed in the desert is obviously not the religion for the civilized world like where people don't have things to eat actually. Then they could, there's no vegetation, in a veg desert there's no vegetation. So they have to kind of, you know, resort to eating meat. But you know, the way things have developed, you know, part of that religion has become to kill cows. Now, was there any cow in the middle of this Arabian desert? thousand years ago. So the question is, will Muhammad approve cow killing? I cannot imagine. Right. So that is the problem with that religion today. You know. But try and the another problem is it doesn't allow you to listen to even any other doctrines, any other philosophy. They want to speak of accept. Look what they did to Haridas Thakur. <clears throat> but it will be interesting to notice how things develop. You know, there is, at least, you know, according to my consideration, there is two mystery that I am waiting to see unravel, unravel. One is, why did Chaitanya Mahaprabhu come at a time when India was under Muslim domination? The Lord came to this planet at a time when the whole India was Muslim and ruled by the Muslims. 
That's one thing. Another thing is why did Chaitanya Mahaprabhu make Haridas Thakur, the Namacharya who appeared in the Muslim family? There must be some, some reason. You know, one thing is obvious, the world is going to become Muslim. You really think the governments, everything will become Muslim? What to do? Like, you know, okay, just consider, uh, in last 20, last few years, so to say, say, even if we consider from the time of independence, 1970, 1947 to now, so within 70 years, the Muslim population has gone from 8% to more than 30%. You mean in India? In India. So give it another uh, few years, maybe 20 years, 30 years. What will be the population of Muslims in India? Right. And it's a matter of, democracy means a matter of number. When more than 50% are Muslims, then what's going to happen in a democratic India? Okay. There is some perception or speculation that in Europe, France is going to become the first Muslim country. I don't know what's the population of France, Muslims in France. Also a great number. Do you know? They, they have millions. Million. They, have, they have a few million Muslims. That, that is the, how, what's the percentage of the population? Total population is 65 million. 65 million. And what is French. the Muslim population? Not one or two million, you know, tens of millions. Yes. Right. And they are very fast growing. They're very fast growing. Uh, they're increasing the population, the number, <laughs> procreation and conversion. So, Anyway, like, and the way things are happening in today's world. So, who knows what's going to happen. Maharaj, I would have hoped that Lord Chaitanya would not allow that. Or maybe Lord Chaitanya will allow that, as he allowed it to happen in India when he came. Right? What would he actually prove? Irrespective of what the world situation is, the holy name is going to spread. And already, you know, even if the world becomes Muslim, uh, one thing, I mean the majority of the countries become Muslim, but one thing also is unavoidable, is that they're going to fight among themselves. <laughs> like I said, that fight is already there. Uh, they already, do you think in Syria, they're attacking only non-Muslims? No. No, they attack each other. Right. They're at each other. Whoever is not accepting or the Shias versus Sunnis and so forth, you know, is going on. It's a huge mess, actually. And the whole world is in a huge mess. Today it is apparent in Syria, tomorrow it will happening all everywhere. So that's why, you know, like, we have to take recognize the potency of the holy name and take shelter of it. Because that's the only way. Maharaj Pachila Prabhupada said that uh, Krishna consciousness would uh, take over the government. Krishna consciousness? It, that it would rule for 10,000 years. 
Yeah. Okay. Kaliyuga is there for another 475,000, 27,000 years. Like, what is this in a few years now? As I said, like, we don't know what may happen. We don't know. The main consideration is whether people are going to take to Krishna consciousness or not. If they're not going to take to Krishna consciousness, there's going to be a massive disaster. But if they take to Krishna consciousness, as I was giving the example yesterday, why did Glasnost and Perestroika happen in Russia? Could anybody ever imagine? I mean, you know the world history. 35 years back, could anybody even imagine that Russia would, be, would lose communism? Communist communism would leave Russia? No. They couldn't even imagine in a remotest dream. But it happened. So similarly, who knows? Maybe the, they will come when all the Muslims will become Hare Krishnas. <laughs> Won't it be wonderful? Yeah, very wonderful. Who's <laughs> ready to embrace them? Actually, Guru Maharaj, uh, you were saying about the Mahabharata. But um, in my, where I work, we, I have a few Muslim colleagues, and they, they, look, they see a lot of Bollywood movies, and through the Bollywood movies, they learn a lot of Hinduistic uh, habits and things. Yeah, actually, so, the big market of, uh, of uh, Bollywood movies is Middle East. You see, as early as in 1970, when I went to Iraq, I made friends with some local boys. And they all were, you know, even at that time, like one of the boys who looked like an Indian actor, uh, Shashi Kapoor. <laughs> so, yeah, his, he, his friends used to call him Shashi Kapoor because he looked like Shashi Kapoor. <laughs> Those days, Shashi Kapoor was a famous actor. So, yes, they're being... And, and again, that, that takes me back to those days. I mean, I had a wonderful time in Iraq. Uh, I, had, I met friends there and they were so nice. So, nice people are everywhere. But, you know, like some bad people create the unpleasant situation. When I was mixing with them, you know, there was no consideration of what our religion was. We dealt with each other just on personal basis. So much so that I, I remember uh, uh, I was kind of, you know, every day we would meet and often we would end up in a house of one of the boys. His name was Farooq. And very wealthy, I mean very affluent. They had a, I remember a nice big two-story building with a nice lawn. And <clears throat> so his, his mother suggested that, you know, our, they would wash our clothes. And when I got the clothes back, I, one of my socks had a hole in it. And I saw that the whole, it has been mended. So when it happens like that, do you consider whether they're Muslims or 
Anyway, I mean, these memories are very fresh in my mind because my memories of Shri, with Srila Prabhupada is I presented in a book. It's already in the press now. BBT is printing it. And I wrote, the thing was actually mainly about Srila Prabhupada, but the, the person who was editing the editor was actually Tamakrishna Maharaj's younger brother. And uh, he is the head of the department of English in the uh, Iowa State of University of Iowa. And he suggested that I do something, I say something about my past also. So on his persuasion I wrote about my past. And so this part, some part of it is there in... So that's why these memories are very fresh. Like those boys in Iraq. And another very sweet experience I had, you know, again, irrespective of... You see, I was hitchhiking with an English friend of mine called Mark. And we were in, <coughs> we were in Turkey. And in the map, we saw, like, we are going from one place to another, uh, and we saw that one road was shorter. So we decided to take the shorter route. But that route ended up in the mountains. <laughs> so we got a ride, we went to some distance, but then we got stuck in the mountains. The hardly any traffic. And and so we started in the morning, so by the time it was kind of noon, we were feeling hungry. <laughs> so there was a village way down. Uh, it's beautiful, I remember. The mountain was red, burning rock. And down there, there was a river. And by this, on the river banks, you see the lush, lush green. And there was this village, so I just went. So we decided, that one of us should go to the village and see if we can buy some food. And the other one would stay. So I was telling Mark, you go, I stay on the road. <laughs> so he said, let's toss. <laughs> so it was my turn to go. <laughs> so when there was no shop, so I thought I'll try some house if we can get some food. So I knocked at the door, and one lady opened the door. She saw me, she screamed, <laughs> and shut the door. So, you know, I just came up, told Mark, bad luck. <laughs> and I told him what happened. And <clears throat> so after a while, he saw that a few boys are coming up through the winding road and they're carrying something. So they came and they placed two plates in front of us. Two plates of food. And so, you know, like, I mean, they didn't know how to speak to us. And we also, I mean, we told them, thank you so much. 
And so we started to eat. And then after, after a while, some ladies came. And they uh, sat there also watching us. And one of them was from Lebanon. And she, speak, she spoke French. And Mark spoke French. And <clears throat> so he's English. He was English, but he was studying French. So they started to, you know, through her, we started to communicate. And she actually told what happened. That when this, she saw that I was leaving, this lady who shut the door on my face, you know, felt very guilty. So she called some of her neighbors and told what happened. And then they felt that probably we were hungry. And so decided to send the plates. And probably that's why I came to knocking at the door. And uh, so that's, this is the world, you know, like, you know, people are so nice. You always come across nice people. And when you encounter with them, they are, you don't consider what is their religion. You simply deal with them, with the way they are. Thank you, Maharaj. We are looking forward to the book. <laughs> yeah, it will be out in a few weeks now. Guru Maharaj, you know, most of us have come from East Africa here. Okay. And, and there, we never knew the difference between Muslim and Hindu. Yeah, right. You know, we really lived yeah. peacefully together right. and would go to Italy's house, etc. Yeah. Well, I was studying in India. Even there, you know, my college friends. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and while while doing my qualification in UK, my, my, some of my best friends were Muslims. Yeah, right. right. So you know, it's just a handful. I would say very small percentage mm. who are spoiling the things, and you know, that's not for religion even. I think mostly it's for their own reasons what they are doing. Right. Yeah. That just bunch of people kind of, you know, create the trouble mm. and take advantage of the weakness. Mm. And religion becomes their greatest weakness. Well that was that but you know uh, here also we have Haridas Thakur's representative. <laughs> Gaurari <laughs> Governor is coming from Muslim background, that also from Pakistan, but he's brought up in London. And there are so many Muslims in our movement. Uh, I have some Iranian Muslims as my disciples. And in India, there, you see, near Mayapur, you know, one whole village became devotees. They, we told them not to change their custom, I mean names and things, you know, but they're there, very nice people. Right. Now, diverging from there, you know, from yesterday's class, I've got a question, you know, how long back would uh, Hiranyak Ashipu and, uh, you know, we, we'll be talking of, you know, how many thousands years back? Well, it was in Sapta Yuga. So if we consider, 
You see, now 5,000 years in Kali Yuga. Dwapar Yuga was 12,000, 1.92 million years. Then Treta Yuga was 8.64 million. Somebody, can you add it up? <laughs> no, so, you know, uh, I mean, at least, you know, three million, more so, than three million. So, you know, when you give the sort of lineage coming down to the time of Krishna of one of the Asuras, uh, you know, it was about fifth or sixth generation and I just got lost. Okay, they see the demons, and Asuras and demons, one thing is that they continue to live. Like, even, even though they're killed, they're revived by Shukracharya with Mrita Sanjivani. Mm -hmm. Bali Maharaj was killed. Uh, Kalnemi was killed. Uh, was revived. So, you know, because you know, when you give the lineage, it was about fifth generation down. But when you get the fifth generation down, that is long time ago. Mm -hmm. Like say, for example, mm -hmm. the Dhruva Maharaj. Mm. Uh, see, Dhruva Maharaj is three generations down, or four generations mm. down from Brahma. But then you get the whole dynasty of Dhruva Maharaj coming down, mm. uh, like all those who came. Similarly, Uttanipad's line uh, is there, and that is Dhruva Maharaj's line. Then the chairs, uh, you get... Uh, uh, <coughs> mm -hmm. Which uh, Priyavrata's line. So two lines are coming: Priyavrata's line and Dhruva Maharaj's line. Dhruva Maharaj's line is coming from Uttanipat, and Priyavrata's line is another line. In this way, you know, like it is going down. So, would one of the Ashuras will be living for thousands of years, so sort of a thing, or? Yeah, yeah. Like some of the demons are still there. <laughs> I think they, they now are in Iraq and Syria. <laughs> no, even the demons don't want to come now. They feel it's a disgraceful situation. <laughs> yes, rather. So, so also when you talked about France, because the France, uh, you know, Algeria, and, yeah, and they right. all had a right to right to come to France, right. and that's why you know they think France could be the first country to be Muslim. Yeah, because they had been ruling over those Muslim countries in Africa, yeah. and today, uh, you know, like they, see the been, reaction. Yeah, they're paying the price. They had for been it. exploiting them, <laughs> and now they came to exploit <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah. Krishna, um, talking about your book and your life, um, it just occurred to me, did you, after initiation, did you ever go into a period of seclusion where you did um, sadhana or something along that line? No, not after I joined. After I joined, there was no quiet time for me. <laughs> <laughs> Because I immediately got sucked into 25 different responsibilities in Mayapur. <laughs> and then I uh, was with Srila Prabhupada, uh, serving Srila Prabhupada. 
and then I'll do some sort of period where I was a little secluded uh, in a way, not away from the devotee association, but internally probably, because after Srila Prabhupada left, it was a very difficult period for me. And it was a difficult period for whole of this actually. And at that time, I kind of withdrew from everything. I was not practicing. Besides translating, I was not doing anything. And at that time, I was spending a lot of time with one of Srila Prabhupada's godbrothers, Srila Siddhar Maharaj. And, uh, and that was a very sweet period. Like Alice received a lot of affection for him, from him also. And he was a brilliant, brilliant personality. Actually, <clears throat> they all, in Goryamant, they all considered him to be the most brilliant person. And he was. He was a brilliant poet, he was a brilliant thinker. Here, Adharani. That's all you I just wanted to know actually how long that period lasted for you, just, just for my own. That was probably, okay, let me see, not for very long, maybe two, two and a half years. <coughs> you mentioned about the Dhanavas giving Duryodhan support. So I was trying to find the lineage, I mean, um, because the deities come from Diti, so the Dhanavas come from? Danu. Is that the, the Maya Danu? No, Dhanav. No, no, Maya is one of the Dhanavas. Mm-hmm. You see, Diti's son, his sons became Daitas, and Danu's sons became Dhanavas. And they live in the Netherlands, like in the uh, they are, They live in the lower region. And their features, Guru Maharaj? Very handsome. <laughs> well, they didn't look like uh, Rakshas. So. Uh, well, <laughs> it's difficult to say. Some of, like, can you imagine how handsome Bali Maharaj is? <laughs> like, can you imagine how handsome Prahlad Maharaj is? Like, it's, you know, external features you won't be able to. But their inner feature, Subtle body is that of a Rakshasha or a Dhanava. Actually, in Ramayana, you see, Ravan is a very handsome person. When Hanuman saw Ravan, I mean, he was, description is very handsome. Gumaj, you spoke about Srila Sridhar Swami, just now you mentioned him. Uh, I would like to, to know if you could clarify something I had heard from some senior godbrothers that, um, that he had asked Gurmaj um, that, that Gurmaj become his uh, successor. And I was wondering if, if, that, if that's true. Well, I didn't personally hear that. Somebody told me that Siddharma was considering that. That's from somebody. Shridhar Maharaj, I didn't hear directly from Shridhar <coughs> Excuse me for asking a second question. The, very interested, you know, you said once you surrender to 
Lord Krishna. Krishna will guide you and and you know and, and address your issues. How does the process work? Is there is there a dialogue with the Lord or, or some other subtle process which yeah. takes place? <clears throat> that will depend upon one's purity. When one is completely pure, he will hear directly from Krishna. Like, uh, you see, that at that time, the super soul, Krishna in the heart, becomes the guru, Chaitya guru. But at the same time, we can actually, even though we are not completely purified, but we can actually ask for the super soul's guidance in the form of prayer. And he will direct in the sense, you know, he will, he, you know, depending upon the degree of our surrender. To the extent we are surrendered, we will see his, or we'll accept his guidance. But if we are not surrendered, that means if we still have our independence, if we still have our false ego, then we will listen to him, we'll do the way we want to do. Yes, I'm Guru Maharaj, uh, why Guru Maharaj choose Ujjain as your place and is it uh, instruction from Prabhupada? No, no. You see, Ujjain development took only recently. 2004, I uh, got to know that Uma Bharati, the, the chief minister of Madhya Pradesh, she was a lady, very pious lady actually. She's a kind of a saintly person. She dresses, you know, as a son in saffron. So <clears throat> she wanted Iskon to come there. So I was informed about that. So I kind of suggested that we can take up something. Because I thought that with the government help we can do a lot. And at that time, I proposed that, you know, we'll need at least 200 to 250 acres of land. Okay. So they selected, and I suggested also, I needed the land, I wanted the land on the bank of Narmada. <coughs> because Narmada is a holy river in Madhya Pradesh. And so, you know, they selected a few places. And then when I went back to India, I visited Madhya Pradesh and I met her, you see, and she told me that the chief secretary would be with me and take me to all those places in her own plane, that means government plane. And she told me that he is the most important person after me, the chief secretary. And so I went in the in her plane, went and saw a few different places. But we saw that all the places on the bank of Narmada were very rocky. And I felt that I won't be able to do very much, you know, if the land is so rocky. And so in the evening I went back and I told her that I didn't like any of the places. Then she actually told me, why don't you consider Ujjayit? because Krishna came to study there. 
So that's how it occurred to me. Yeah, why not do Jenny? Because Santipani Mandir Ashram is there. So the next day, I went with the chief secretary to Jenny, and all the go- government officials were there. And, you know, they selected a place in Jenny, and which was 300 acres, very beautiful place. You see, in at some area in Ujjain, the <coughs> river bends like that, Shipra. And they selected that land between that loop. And, and when I went to Ujjain, I just fell in love with that place. It was so, it has such a beautiful vibe. And the government officials also were very supportive. They really wanted me to come there. So that's how I ended up in Mumbai. Although I didn't get the 300 piece of 300 acre piece of land, uh, that's another story. You see, Uma Bharati at some point resigned from chief ministership, and when the new chief minister came, initially he was. It came with the understanding, Uma Bharati will come back. It was just a, for the time being, she <coughs> resigning, she is not resigning. And so initially he was very supportive about that land. But then when it became clear that Uma Bharati was not going to come, then this chief minister, he just told me that we can't give you so much land for a religious purpose. So at that time I thought that I would leave. But the district magistrate there, he proposed that, Maharaj, please don't leave. This land will come. And as it is, you'll need some place in the city. So why don't you develop your thing in the city? And because you know, to develop that 300 piece of land, 300 acre land, you need a lot of time, so you need some place in the city. And so him and I and the chairman of the, the, the CEO of the Ujjain Development Authority, three of us went out. They showed me some places and I selected the place where our temple is now. And that's how it actually happened in Ujjain. Okay, so thank you all very much. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Gold Primanandi. Aparai Kadasi Ki. So, how are you enjoying? Ekadasi. Feast. Ekadasi, one is supposed to fast, but in Iskon we celebrate Ekadasi by feasting. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Srila Prabhupada's mercy in his God. Srila Prabhupada used to say, chant and be happy. Our main business is to chant and we are happy in doing whatever we are doing. Whether you're feasting or fasting, it's all fine. <laughs> Thank you very much. Our glory is to you.